What has changed at Wrexham AFC since their promotion to the EFL earlier this year? That's one of many questions that will be answered in this live special edition of TicketingPodcast.com, which was recorded in front of a live audience at the Football Business Industry Conference in Vienna recently. With me on stage at Alliance Stadium was Pete Wynn, Head of Tickets and Memberships at Wrexham AFC, and we had a great chat. Stay tuned for a Red Dragons update with one of Wrexham's hardest working heroes. Hello everyone and welcome to this very first live special of the TicketingPodcast.com. My name is Carl-Eric Moberg and with me here today in Vienna, thank you so much for coming, Peter Wynn, Head of Tickets and Membership at Wrexham AFC. It's a pleasure to have you as our guest, Peter. No worries. Thank you very much for having me. And I have to say, it was great when we had this conversation at the podcast in March, but a lot of things has happened back then. And I'm sure our listeners have heard about it and seen it. I mean, we can talk about superstars, celebrities, comedians. We can talk about sponsorships, crazy sponsorships, right? Yeah. Since we last spoke, what has happened? Uh, what hasn't happened, though? It's, <laughs> since we last spoke, we were fighting for the National League title with Notts County. Pleased to say we won that battle. We got promoted to the English Football League for the first time in 15 years. We've had international bands play at the racecourse grounds. We had Kings of Leon play two shows back in end of May. And yeah, we're onwards and upwards up the Football League now, which is amazing. Are you still experiencing the same engagement that you had the last time we spoke? Uh, yeah, if anything more. As you've touched on with the Disney documentary and FX documentary, Welcome to Wrexham, that's increased our exposure again internationally. So whilst we already had an international database and fan engagement from Series 1, now Series 2 has dropped, it's just increased. So um, yeah, we've got a finite amount of seats and an infinite fan base. So yeah, it uh, keep, keeps growing all the time. You've really built Wrexham as a global brand, haven't you? I think so. Yeah, yeah I, think we, uh, I think we're doing a good job. I think it's going to only increase. But yeah, I think that's the plan is... You know, we've got these high-profile owners and we're trying to capitalize on their exposure internationally. Mm. And I, I, think, I think we're doing okay. Definitely. I think it's, uh, it's super impressive to follow you. And you came very close to going into League Two again, right? Or the EFL after 15 years. How did it feel when you came back into the EFL? Amazing. So I'm, I'm Wrexham, born and bred. I live maybe two miles away from the stadium and I've lived there all my life. So I was there when we got relegated out of the Football League and to be part of the staff and the team that got us back into the Football League, it was a complete dream come true. It was a complete polar opposite to the year before when we got knocked out in the playoff semi-final where I've never felt so dejected. And then to 12 months later, the feeling of elation made all that hard work worth it. And for everyone at the club, you know, I know the players are the ones kicking the ball and quite rightly they get the admiration, but I think everyone at the club just felt so relieved that it was, we'd finally done it. Yeah, it was an amazing, amazing achievement. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. The title of today's podcast show here at the FBIM conference in Vienna is making a positive difference to the wider community in Wrexham. And that is a direct quote from two of your owners, which is the co-chairman, which is also not normal, is it? <laughs> um, Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds a mission statement to the supporters, staff, players, friends, and family of Wrexham 
which probably consists of the whole area, which consists of 80,000, 90,000 people? Uh, the county of Wrexham, yeah, is around kind of 80,000 to 90,000. I think the whole of North Wales is around 650,000 people, something along those lines. And we're the only professional football club in the region. It's not a small ambition they have, right? They would like to grow the team, establish Wrexham AFC as a Premier League club in front of increased attendances, if that's possible, because you're sandling out every match yeah. at an improved stadium, which is proud of that story, uh, while making a positive difference to the wider community in Wrexham. I mean, how is this goal influencing you in your work, in your daily life? Every day we have to revert back to those statements and make sure that everything we're doing as a club reflects what Robin Ryan set out to achieve. So far, I think we're doing all right. But yeah, in terms of ticketing, We've since set up a scheme called Racecourse Live. So Racecourse Live is we donate uh, this season it's 100 tickets every game free of charge mm. to charitable causes or organisations or even individual requests mm. for people who maybe can't afford to come to live games or um, would not feel comfortable attending live games. And there's no questions asked. We don't ask you to submit a criteria or anything like that. You can put your request in, but we don't come back to you and say, please, can you confirm that these people are under this threshold or anything like that? We give the tickets away. And that's gone out to so many different groups of food banks and ethnic minority groups, children's organisations, uh, disability groups. So, um, yeah, in terms of reaching a wider community, that's one thing we're trying to do with ticketing, at least, is get people into the stadium who wouldn't normally come to a football match and try and make them as welcome as possible and and get them to be part of the Rexham family. Mm. That is amazing when you think of the demand you already have, because you could literally sell every seat. Yeah, yeah, quite easily. But I think it's important. You have to have a long-term view with, especially, I can only talk for ticketing, but there's got to be a long-term view there. You can't just sell out a game to the highest bidder and take the money. There's got to be an organic growth of, of fan engagement. And with ticketing, you know, you, there's no point having the same people in the stadium we could sell 10,000 season tickets easy, mm. but you get the same 10,000 people every game and how do you grow a fan base? Well, I think mm. what we've looked at is, well, how do we reward loyalty, but how do we also get new fans engaged in the stadium? Because ultimately, everybody wants to come watch the football, don't they? You know, we can talk about documentaries and shirts and all that all you want, but the football is the thing that binds it all together and there's no point having the same people watching the game all the time, so we need to get different people in. That is the product. Yes, yeah. Football's the product, but everything else surrounding it is the engagement side. So. I mean, the way you're talking now in terms of opening up for the whole community, you have American owners. And uh, when you think about American owners, you think commercial business. And after all, this is a football business conference we're in. Have you considered importing American pricing to capitalize more on the matches? I just read that Inter-Miami, for example, increased their prices with 1,700% after Messi started playing. What's your thought? I would say that decision comes more from a commercial standpoint than a ticketing department standpoint. Ultimately, ticketing departments don't make the prices. That comes from the commercial arm of, of a football club. Personally, we can never rule anything out, but I don't necessarily agree with what happened with the Messi thing. I think that was a very, very short-sighted approach to charge fans extortionate amounts of money to come and witness a player who ultimately didn't even end up playing that game because he was injured. How are you going to grow fan engagement by pricing fans out for mm. that? Why would those fans come back and support that club when for that one game they were charged those highly inflated prices? There has to be a commercial aspect to it. I understand that. But I think in that aspect, I don't think it was done correctly. 
And whilst I think the club are taking on board international approaches to events and games and branding and all that kind of stuff, I don't think that approach will be brought in anytime soon. You see a lot of American companies, big private equity firms, et cetera, buying into sports clubs. What do you think Wrexham is doing right compared to other clubs that's being bought up? I think what Rob and Ryan have acknowledged is their approach has been organic storytelling. You can look at other clubs like Birmingham City with Tom Brady, who arguably has got the same or more money than Rob and Ryan combined. However, their approach is very business-like. Now, I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but their, their approach is very traditional investor arm. They've got people from high up business world and they brought them in as CEOs or directors of this and that. And their approach is very business-like. Uh, you look at Newcastle, they've thrown money at it. Again, it's neither right nor wrong, but their approach is very financial driven. I think what Rob and Ryan have tried to do is look at organic growth and say, well, if we want to be in the Premier League in 10 years, how are we going to sustain that? Because we can't do it off 10,000 fans. So I think what they've looked at is, well, let's use the story of Wrexham, which Wrexham is an amazing place, but it's very similar to lots of other towns and cities around the world with a history and a story to tell. And I think what they try to do is get that story across and get people on board with Wrexham as a whole, understand the club and the town and get invested in it, get emotionally invested with it. You don't support a club because you like their shirt or you like the colour, or you, your favourite player might play for them. You support a club for reasons unbeknown to all of us. For some reason, we support who we support, and I think that's an emotional attachment. So I think what we're trying to do is get people emotionally invested in Wrexham, and I think they're, they're doing a very good job of that. Great. Uh, you mentioned the capacity, which is like 10,200. Yeah, 10-2, yeah, 10-3, yeah. What do you think the global outreach is now? I <laughs> uh, don't know is the answer, and I don't think anybody could put a, a number on it. You know, our, our database has grown astronomically, especially since, well, since Takeover and the documentary launched. How do you put a number on something? What is engagement? Is it somebody telling you their name or somebody clicking on a link or watching Welcome to Wrexham or, or streaming a match? You know, how do you quantify that? I don't know. I mean, the numbers are out there for people to see in terms of you know, the amount of shirts we sold pre-Takeover and the amount of shirts we sold post-Takeover. It's 10 times what it was. So, yeah, I don't know what the final figure would be other than it's a lot. It is. And I think that is interesting because from a ground where you can fit in 10,200 <laughs> people, you're reaching millions of people outside. And speaking of global brands, we recently had a ticketing systems manager, Jean-Marie Tardy, at FIFA uh, at our guest in our podcast. And one thing we discussed with him was FIFA's need for fair ticketing which is extremely important. I mean, they play all across the globe. They need to find good ways for fans to engage with the matches, etc. Are you thinking of this as part of Wrexham's long-term strategy to involve the whole community? And any thoughts on as you grow as a club to continue to have this focus? Yeah, I think that's been at the forefront of, of my mind since I joined anyway. Like I said, we've got a finite amount of seats and everybody wants to come to a games and we, we, we physically can't fit them in. I think what we've tried to do is create approaches to make tickets as accessible as possible to as many people as possible. Whether that's pricing, like I mentioned, we, we could probably sell out a £100 a game per ticket. We're not going to do that. That's not the right approach, and I'm, I'm sure the club would support us on that, that, that. That's not the right approach to take. So we try to be competitive in our pricing, but I think also in terms of accessing tickets. We have a priority window for all our members, so if you're a paid 
member of the club, like lots of other clubs, you have a priority window to buy your tickets. Uh, we acknowledge the amount of international fans that want to come to the race course now. So we now have an international section of seats, which only international members can purchase from. We understand if you're traveling from, say, America to the Wrexham, you're not booking that a month before. Mm. You're booking it in advance. Now, we don't put tickets on sale till around four weeks before a game, but we're hoping that that international allocation of seats at least gives them a fairer chance when they're on there, that once mm. you've got your hotel and flights booked, you haven't got to get in a queue with two or 3,000 people mm. going for the same seats. We also have a ballot this year. So if you miss out on the first window of tickets, we have uh, 150 a game currently, which you can then put your name into a hat. And it's completely drawn at random. And the aim of that is just to try and make it a little bit fairer. Yeah. So if you do miss out on tickets because maybe you're not tech savvy or whatever it might be, or you just miss out, at least it's a complete lottery then. You can put your name in a hat yeah. and it's completely random. And we'll keep reviewing and analysing that, try and make them as accessible as possible. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it's great to hear. And also, if you're able to keep that when you're going into the Premier League, because we have to plan for success, right? Exactly. Then I think you're doing a great job for the whole community, which you already are. Yeah, I think we're, we're trying. And I think in terms of like our disability section as well, we're doing things which Premier League clubs aren't doing mm. in terms of our accessibility offering, the amount of wheelchair spaces we got, the facilities. We've got an area in one of our stands called the Quiet Zone, mm. which is an autism and sensory area. Mm. So we don't sell it out. There is space around the seats. You know, we take a financial loss on that because we don't sell those seats, yeah. but we don't charge anymore for that area. There's sensory rooms underneath. So if you're finding it all a bit too much in a stadium, you can go into the sensory room and there's lights and touch things. Mm. And we have a waitress service, so you don't have to go to the concourse bars. We have blankets, we have air defenders. Yeah, the outreach we've got, we're trying to understand that the community is different. So mm. we need a different approach to ticketing and not just here is a ticket, sit in your seat. And I think that will continue to expand as, as the stadium expands. Look forward to coming to a match at some point. We've already mentioned uh, your co-chairman, Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds, uh, their love and affection for Wrexham AFC. That is thoroughly documented through the TV series, Welcome to Wrexham. I mean, uh, the guys, they can't hide their emotions, right? That's pretty hard. You see that they're really engaged in the yeah. club. And there were rumors going around that they were going to buy the club. And you heard those rumors. Yeah. Did you believe in them? Did Wrexham no. believe in those rumors? No. So I was a member of the trust. Uh, so previously Wrexham was owned by a supporters trust. It was an organization where all the fans owned the club. And for anyone to come in and buy the trust out, they had to be voted in. Yeah. And it was touted that these two Hollywood stars wanted to buy the club and there was names touting around and, and there was ex-footballers that were touted. And when we heard especially the name Ryan Reynolds, no one believed it. We thought it was a complete hoax. Or we thought it would be a bit of a wind-up. We thought it'd be one of those things, it's a toy. He's going to come in and he's going to make fun of it or whatever. But then they did this video call where they spoke to all the members of the trust uh, via Zoom and they put their story across of what they wanted to do. I think everyone was just taken aback. The amount of research they'd done and they just, they understood it from the get-go. And yeah, it's been, it's been an amazing ride so far. Yeah, I, I believe you. Yeah. <laughs> but, but they actually came on a, a video call yes, yeah. with everyone, basically pitching themselves. Yeah. yeah, it was essentially that. It was a business pitch. They had yeah. to put forward to the current owners of the club why they wanted to buy it and what their intentions were with the club. And I think a lot of people thought they were going to come on and say, we'll give you a few million pounds, we'll get you some players and we'll have fun. But no, they kept talking about the history of the club they were talking about our historic rivals. They kept saying about how community-based they wanted to be. And not many owners 
that I'm aware of come in and talk about that. And if they do, it's you know a very quick gesture, but they've done their homework. And so far, it's, it's all coming true. Everything that they said they wanted to do, they, they are doing and they're doing with their whole heart, which is amazing to be part of. Sounds amazing for yeah. sure. The first celebrity owner in British football was uh, probably Elton John, uh, who was club director of Watford from uh, 76 to 87. And then he sold the club. And then again, from 1997 to 2002. So he wasn't scared. Didn't scare uh, off. Uh, <laughs> didn't scare off at all. And this year we've seen Michael B. Jordan taking ownership in Bournemouth, J.J. Uh, Watt uh, and his wife, uh, Callie at Burnie. And then recently, as you mentioned, Tom Brady at Birmingham City. How is this trend impacting football in the UK, the way you see it? Good question. I think it's been well received. I mean, investment in UK football especially is nothing new. There's been millionaire and billionaire owners around for a decade or so more. You know, think back to Roman Abramovich was probably the first billionaire owner at Chelsea. And that kind of kick-started the thing. So it's, it's nothing new. The only difference is we're now seeing American owners. But you could argue that maybe Arsenal had, had an American owner first. Um, so it's, it's nothing new. I think maybe the profile of these investors is increased. I think Rob and Ryan being one of the first was a great thing mm. because they've come across so well and they're doing it why I would describe as properly. So it's not putting people off. I mm. think it, they could have quite easily been a Hollywood actor that just came in, plowed a load of millions, made a film and off they tried. The fact they've not done that, I think has been welcomed by the wider community of British football. Mm. So when JJ Watt and all these kind of players and professionals are investing, it's not seen as a joke. Mm. And I think they're learning from Rob and Ryan, who themselves are learning all the time because by their own admission, they've never owned a football club before. They, they don't know football. But they're learning. And I'm sure they'll make mistakes along the way. But I think, uh, yeah, it's been well received over in the UK. But you also have other celebrity owners in League Two. Uh, and you just played uh, Salford FC, where Manchester United's class of 92 are owners through Project 92 Limited. Uh, but before I ask the question, what was the result? Yeah, we won. It was 3-2. We scored two last-minute smash-and-grab goals. Uh, so, yeah, we won 3-2. Very, very good. But it's a business as usual when uh, Nicky Butt, Ryan Giggs, Gary Neville, Phil Neville and David Beckham show up at uh, the race course. Uh, ab absolutely. Yeah, Nicky Butt was there. Nice guy. Really nice guy. I, I believe Paul Scholes was there, but he doesn't go in the boardrooms. He goes in the crowd with the fans. It's nothing new. We've had countless celebrities at the race course in the past couple of years. Paul Rudd's been there. We've had Wolverine there. Uh, Will Ferrell turned up in the shop one day, just kind of wandered over from, from the hospitality suites and just turned up in the shop. So, yeah, quite, quite random when you turn around and you see elves. <laughs> Amazing. So, yeah, nothing new. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a fun day uh, at the office. Yeah, yes. Yeah, half the course working at Wrexham these days. So let's return to Robin Ryan's mission statement for Wrexham. And I think in terms of succeeding in investing in a club based on what you're saying, I think it's important to reflect on a couple of things. I mean, they would like to protect the heritage of Wrexham, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, Stoke K. Ross. Stoke K. Ross. K. Ross, <laughs> if I'm uh, pronouncing it right. Uh, to keep that a special place to watch football, which it has been for the last 156 years. Mm -hmm. And to reinforce the values, traditions and legacy of the community. To use their resources, and that's not only money. Like you mentioned, right? It's not only throwing money into yeah. the club, it's their brand, it's their passion and engagement to grow the exposure of the club. 
and also to reward the faith of the supporters who have stood by Wrexham AFC through its history and putting everything they've had for the club, uh, all the energy they have for the club. And now they would like to put everything into winning, which is the most important, like you said. And you're now uh, number five yeah, in League Two. Fifth in the league, three or four points off the top. I'll take that at this stage in the season. When you reflect on these values, how does the club use these every day, also after the new owners came in? I think Wrexham has always been a community-driven club. The fact we were owned by the community mm. speaks volumes. For those of you who aren't too aware of the story of Wrexham, is that we've previously had two horrendous owners who tried to asset strip the club. They came in and they basically tried to sell off everything to themselves and to various other companies and liquidate the club because they wanted the land because that was a valuable asset. The fans fought back and the fans took ownership of the club. Uh, there was a historic day where we had about 24 hours to generate £150,000 and the fans did it. The fans were remortgaging their houses, kids were turning up with piggy banks and coins. It was unbelievable. And uh, we did it, we saved the club, came into fan ownership. So it's always been a community-driven club, yeah. very much like other clubs. And we're not trying to say that we're the only community club, but it's always been at the heart of Wrexham. Mm. Wrexham's always been a kind of a mining town, mm. uh, coal mines. Uh, there was a big disaster in a village called Gressford, just outside of Wrexham many, many years ago, mm. whereby uh, you know, a whole heap of people unfortunately lost their lives. Many of them had actually taken on a double shift because yeah. Wrexham were playing that afternoon. So they took on a double shift so they could have the afternoon off, yeah. who tragically lost their lives. So it's always been kind of that community thing, and I think it will continue that way. I don't think the community will ever let it not be that way. Yeah. You only have to look at the, the new stand that we've put applications in to be built. The new cop stand, which is, you know, the facade around the side, it looks like a coal face. It's mm. a bit black and it looks like a coal face and that's to reflect the, the mining community of, yeah. of the town. So, yeah, I think it's always been and will continue to be that community. Very good. What's the biggest difference by being in the National League versus League Two? Oof, the football standard is a lot better than a lot of people realise. Everyone is aware of the gulf between uh, the Premier League and the league below. There's a big gulf in class. I think a lot of people, potentially myself as well, thought that the gulf between the National League and League Two wasn't as big. I've been shocked at the standard. Mm. It's a lot better. The away fan followings has increased. Mm. So historically, we were selling two or 300 away tickets at the race course ground. It's now 1,000. And because of that, the atmosphere is amazing. Yeah. So we're getting really good atmospheres. Yeah. So. One last return to Rob and Ryan's mission statement, and that is that they would like to take Wrexham to the Premier League. Will that ever happen? Why not? Will you still be there? Of course I will be. Yeah, now I'm a Wrexham fan, Wrexham born and bred, working at my hometown club's a, a dream. So uh, as long as they'll have me, I'll be there. And I, we can be Premier League. Luton, who are now Premier League, we actually lost in the playoff final back in 2012 to Luton on the start of their rise and 11 years later they're in the Premier League so why not us? Very good. So when you're in Premier League let's make an agreement we'll do another round of podcasting huh? season 5, season 6 yeah, depends. Yeah, might be, might be a few more grey hairs by then. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, hopefully. They come quickly in ticketing I suppose. <laughs> yeah. One last question before we wrap up this uh, live special of ticketingpodcast.com here at the FBIN conference in Vienna. Your key takeaways from today's conversation, what do you want our listeners to remember? Well, I think six months ago, I said my, my key takeaways were to keep ticking simple. 
I'm a firm believer in that ticketing is not an inventory, as some people in industry call it. It's more than that. If you think back to you know, the olden days of physical tickets, how many tickets did you keep as a memento? Lots, especially as a, as a teenager, you, know, you went to shows and concerts and you kept the stubs as a little memento. And it's a memory. It's not inventory. A ticket is a gateway to a product or an event. And I think we need to make it accessible mm. and something memorable. So yeah, we need to make it really simple. People overcomplicate ticketing. So I think at our forefronts, we need to remember that whilst we're a business, fans don't care about that. They just want to go and buy their ticket to the thing they want to attend or buy. And we need to keep that at the forefront. So keep ticketing simple, keep it accessible and keep innovating is what I would say. That's a good summary, Peter. Thank you so much. And with those words from Peter Wynn, Head of Tickets and Memberships at Wrexham AFC, we're ending this live podcast at the Alliance Stadium in Vienna. Thank you everyone for coming to see us today physically and also our listeners. Thank you so much. And uh, also recommend our listeners to watch the series. Welcome to Wrexham on Disney. And you'll get the whole story, which is crazy. And I really recommend it. And also thank you so much to our organizer, Thomas Maurer and his colleagues at the Football Business Industry News, who have been our fabulous hosts for today. If anyone has any questions or simply wants to reach out to Peter or myself, feel free to do so. We're both on LinkedIn. You've been watching a live special of uh, TicketingPodcast.com, the podcast where ticketing experts share their stories and insights. Thank you so much to our sponsor, TicketCo, for powering this podcast. My name is Carl-Eric Moberg, and until next time, have a great day.